Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right, well, let's, uh, why don't we just get into it? Maybe if you want to talk a bit about who you are and your latest book for the audience. Yeah. Um, so my name is Matt Warren. Um, I wrote a book called Psychic Witch, and I just followed it up with Mastering Magic, which is sort of the companion sequel, though you can start with either book first, but they do work in tandem together. Um, I have a very extensive background in the occult um, and magic in general. Um, and I was a professional psychic for many, many years, um, including uh, in Salem, uh, Massachusetts. And um, I started doing workshops and teaching about psychic ability and tarot and stuff like that. And eventually it just kind of led to Llewellyn being like, hey, when are you going to write us a book? So I wrote a book and that ended up being what I do. Yeah. being very successful and uh, which is cool. Um, so were you interested in psychic stuff or, you know, hermetic or, or more occult stuff first? Um, so I would say I was interested in witchcraft first, um, because my draw to this stuff started very, very early. Um, I opened Mastering Magic with sort of my childhood origin story. Um, So I always kind of gravitated towards anything witchy, um, which led to anything sort of psychic and then just kind of went from there. Like I remember um, in elementary school, going through my school library, checking out every book on witches that they had, which for an elementary school library doesn't have many results. Like you get like Raw Doll and stuff like that, but they had one book. It was um, a... uh, Well, Raw Raw Doll is censored now and they probably have taken all the witchcraft books out of, uh, out of, out of schools. Hopefully not, but yeah. Yeah, probably, probably sadly. Um, But there was one book, it was one of those like time life, like books, and it was on witchcraft. And it was all about like folklore and stuff of that nature and like fairy tales. And then at the very end, it had one little like it was like two or three pages about modern day witchcraft. And so you had what you would expect, you had like Anton LaVey and Aleister Crowley, and then 
they had a picture of Maxine Sanders on a hill with her initiates. Uh, you, you you know exactly the picture I'm talking I about. I do. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that were imprinted by that image as young yeah. young people or teenagers. And that's resp- that it's it's you know what it is that that turns people. It's either the Maxine Sanders stuff or it's the female succubus in the first edition Dungeons and Dragons monster manual for some reason. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I love those time life books that I've still got mine. I had the ones on unsolved mysteries and aliens and all that. Yeah. Yeah. They had, um, a couple series, like they had the enchanted world series and then they had the like unexplained, mysteries which was more oh, yeah that's right the... i remember the enchanted world one too yeah that's right yeah great stuff yeah so and it's it's um yeah i don't know my childhood's really interesting because i've been reflecting a lot um on my childhood and sort of the things that i feel were kind of like seeds along the way of, of who i would become or what experiences i would have um and so I've been thinking about that time life one a lot because um, I ended up meeting Maxine Sanders um, oh, as an adult. What was that like? Um, it was actually very, very surprising. Um, she was fantastic, complete lady, um, very intelligent, very classy, um, wicked sense of humor, um, which which is what you don't expect. Right. Because she looks like, you know, a very proper woman um, at her age in life now, um, as composed to, as compared to when she was younger, you know, with the Alexander pictures. Yeah. Is Alex, when did Alexander's died a while ago? Didn't he? Yeah. I I don't know the exact date, but Uh, yeah, he's been gone for a while. The King of the witches. Yeah. Maybe if actually, for those who don't know Maxine and Alexander's, if you want to mention a little bit about uh, why they were so important, because, uh, maybe people don't know about them now. Hopefully they do, but you know how it yeah, is. So, so um, they are the second biggest form of uh, British traditional Wicca. Um, you know, you have the Gardenarians, which is Gerald Gardner's group. Um, and then you have Alexander's, which popped up later. Um, and Alexander's really made Wicca and witchcraft more noticeable, in my opinion, than Gerald Gardner, because Alexander's had a little bit more of that kind of Anton LaVey thing, where he was totally about like, turn on the cameras, let's do the documentaries, let's, you know, kind of uh, get people's attention, Um, you know, and they would even do like live rituals and initiations and like all of it was staged um, to like protect the, the initiatory stuff. But um, yeah, he, he definitely, uh, popularized it, um, on a level that hadn't been popularized. Um, I'm not an Alexandrian initiate, so I, I can't really speak to a lot of the, the details of that tradition, okay. but I would say that was like the biggest thing. Um, I know that the Alexandrian tradition has a lot more of the ceremonial magic put into their witchcraft than the Gardenarians do. Um, like I, I believe that they're all into like, um, the more like planetary and Enochian and that sort of stuff kind of woven into their witchcraft. Yeah. It's always interesting to me because the witchcraft traditions have been at least as an outsider observing them like fairly stable and consistent all along, as opposed to 
more, you know, Golden Donnie or Thelemic or Occult groups, which notoriously blow out almost immediately upon formation um, and are just, you know, there's lots more gaps in the resume, so to speak, um, which is interesting. So, so in engaging with that stuff early on, what was your, I mean, do you feel like that was what opened up your interest in the psychic world? Do you feel that it opened up psychic ability for you? Or was that something Uh, that you kind of went into it already having? Well, I would have to back up a little bit. Yeah. So I was a foster care kid. Um, I I opened Mastering Magic with this story. Um, And I, because my parents were addicts. um, So we were in the foster care system. My older brother and I, we were separated. And then my grandfather and his wife ended up getting custody of us, which was great because we had stability and all that stuff. But my grandfather... um, was, I guess, abusive would be the word um, on different levels. And it's it's weird to talk about because at the time it doesn't feel like it. Mm. But um, I remember one day I came home from school and the teacher had called saying I was being disruptive. Um, And so as punishment, I had to go into my bedroom. I had to stay in my bed without electricity until he said I was allowed to. So this was a Friday and it extended at least until Wednesday. Like I couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom. So like, I'm a little, little child. Mm, I'm like seven, I think at this point. So I had nothing. I mean, I I don't want to like do the comparison, but the closest I can compare it to is like shamanic death. Cause I could do nothing. I'm this little kid. All I have is my mind to play with, you know, and the only escape I had was dreams. So I began thinking things like, well, what is, what is it like to transition from this state of consciousness to dreaming? Like, how do I go from here to there? You know, so I started paying attention to those things. And then I started to notice that like, I could get a palpable energy between my hands, you know, just stuff that I wouldn't have noticed if I wasn't forced into this sort of like non-activity. And then I started seeing, um, what I call spirits coming through the room. And most of them like didn't, care about me like they didn't pay attention it was sort of like they were just walking through but a couple would stop and stare never say anything but then left so this after this experience this opened a whole can of questions for me um and my grandparents were really strictly religious they were assembly of god which is two of the most extreme protestant christianities married together it's pentecostal and evangelical yo Okay. It's quite a combo. So like I was having these experiences that were completely contradictory to like what I was being taught. And then one day, I I think like a year or two later, I um, somehow snuck up and I was watching TV when I wasn't supposed to. So I had free reign because no one was watching me. And I saw the movie, The Craft. And I know it's so cliche and it's such a joke to be like, oh, you watched The Craft and then thought you were a witch. But for me, it woke something up in me. Like there was sort of this weird recognition and draw to it. So that's when I started searching my library for like any book at my elementary school. And I um, ended up from that picture, from the subtitle under Maxine Sanders, learning the word Wicca. So I was armed with a word and I don't identify as Wiccan today, but I was armed with the word and I sought out the books and I got Silver Ravenwolf books and Scott Cunningham books, you know, um, that were accessible to me. And this is part of what I'm talking about, like how I, um, 
I've been thinking a lot about my childhood because one of the things I used to do on my free time, because I had this all hidden like it was pornography or something, right? <laughs> okay. It's like, there's no way in hell my grandparents were going to be cool with it. <laughs> so I would have these notebooks and I would like pretty much plagiarize their works and pretend that I was writing my own witchcraft books with the Llewellyn Crescent on the spine and all of that. Wow. And it's funny because now I have my books with the the Crescent Moon on the side and Silver Ravenwolf wrote the foreword to my last book. And um, Scott Cunningham's not with us anymore, but his sister was like, hey, Matt, will you do the foreword for his biography I just wrote? Um, so it's like all these weird little like seeds that seem to have like turned into something that, you know, didn't seem like anything initially. And I find that really, really fascinating. That is fascinating. I mean, it sounds like from a lot of the touch points you've mentioned, it sounds like we're probably about the same age and have some shared experiences. Uh, I definitely remember when the craft came out, um, one of my, one of my friends, we were both super goth at the time. And one of my friends, decided that he wanted to become Feruza Balk. And I mean, like lit literally become her and dress like her and everything. And he ended up like doing like a Wiccan initiation for both of us in like an empty swimming pool in the neighborhood. And at the time it was really goofy, but now I look back and I was like, well, technically that's my first initiation. So here we are like, you know, a, a bit later. Um, so so yeah. I totally did that. So I totally like not knowing what I was doing. I think it was like, from that Raymond Buckland book. Yes, I didn't get into to Buckland until later on, um, and I wasn't super into it. Um, and I think, like, I get the significance of that book in history, um, especially since it was, like, one of the only books at the time. Mm. But I feel blessed to have been raised with the opportunity to have, like, Ravenwolf and Cunningham and things that, like, explained it in a way that my childhood brain could understand. Um, like I know I, I bought, um, when I was really young, I bought a copy of modern magic by, um, yeah. Donald Michael Craig. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I bought it was badass cover and it had an endorsement by silver Ravenwolf. I did not understand anything in that book as a kid. <laughs> I, I got that late, I think in my late teens and, and started working through it, which probably is how so many people, uh, get, get started or go further in. And I was lucky enough to meet Don Craig, um, shortly before he died in Los Angeles, because I was working with his wife at a company you probably know, actually California psychics, uh, or somewhat well, okay. Anyways, it's a, it's a corporation that does psychic readings. Um, but I got to meet Don Craig and I'll, I'll never forget the, he said the funniest thing to me, which we were talking about using drugs for magic. And I said like, well, you know, it's like, well, I kind of like keeping my brain cells. And you just looked at me and was like, that's what they're for. You know, like brain cells are for burning out. <laughs> uh, and he was very sweet uh, in person. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. He, he passed before I revisited his book. Cause I don't think I revisited his book until I was a young adult. Um, and then I could start kind of making sense of it. Um, and now it's kind of funny because like I consider it kind of a beginner's book mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. from where I am. Yeah. But when I was like a child, it was like an alien language, you know, um, I had no idea what the fuck it was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It had a cool cover though. <laughs> yeah. The new edition is uh, even cooler. I think like the big splat book with the, the new cover. So, um, 
but then it's i'm guessing you know like as as things went on you got into it in a more structured fashion yeah yeah so um i was into it up until like high school and then high school i went through my super goth phase you know though i would never say i'm goth because goths don't say that they're goth right that's right the, right that's the, the, the andrew eldritch the andrew eldritch way you have to violently yeah, uh, deny it, it. <laughs> exactly exactly and um so you know i was super into anton LaVey and like atheism and then um after high school I had experiences that eventually put me kind of back on the spiritual path, um, but not quite witchcrafty yet. Um, so I got super into like Reiki and yoga and like Eastern stuff. Um, and I started exploring some of the, the sh like core shamanism stuff based on some of the experiences that I had. And I bought a book when I was living in Massachusetts. Um, this was like maybe 12 years ago or so. I, I don't need time is such a blur now, but um, it was the shamanic temple of witchcraft mm. by Chris Berenzak. Yep. And I was reading it and um, my partner at the time was like, Hey, Christopher lives like right around the corner. <laughs> uh, he has like a temple. I'm like, are you kidding? Are you, are you kidding? So I emailed Christopher. Like I, I pretty much stalked him online and then got his contact information and messaged him. And he was super nice. And he's like, oh, we're going to have an open house, you know, next weekend if you want to come to the Temple of Witchcraft and check it out. So I went there. We both kind of fell in love with it. Um, we started training with them. And then um, I went back because he was trained initially by Laurie Cabot. Um, he was a, he's a Cabot high priest. And then he went off to do his own thing um, to expand on it. And so I was like, well, I want to learn from Laurie. So I went and I studied with Lori. Um, and then from there, I was like, I want to learn from everyone I can. Um, and so that got me super into witchcraft. And then I started expanding into like ceremonial magic and Thelema. And um, I, I, I don't really have a word for what I am other than yeah. like witch. Maybe a better, really. yeah, I mean, what do you even say after a certain point? Maybe a better question to ask is, what was the point at which you felt confident enough to start writing you know to start putting books out and writing professionally like you felt was there like a switch where you felt you had crossed a certain point where you felt a mastery of the material um well mastery is a weird word which is interesting Con confidence confidence in communicating it let's put it that way yeah yeah um so i was um reading for many years at uh one of the biggest profile um stores in salem which was Lori cabot shop and i got to read next to her and she was prolific because she had the book power of the witch which was really big she was on oprah and she was one of those kind of like movers and shakers of the witchcraft movement in the 90s and um she was on unsolved mysteries for finding missing bodies for the police and stuff like that and um I, I, with all my training, I got really, really good as a psychic reader. Um, and to the point where my clientele was just filled up completely, um, you know, and it had like, uh, like musicians and actors and like, it started getting really like high lists. So I kept raising my price to sort of try to like dwindle down, like how many people are coming in. And I kept raising it and raising it and raising it. And 
I was like, okay, well, this isn't backing off. So I'm going to just start teaching people how Mm -hmm. to do it for themselves. So I started doing workshops to teach people like, this is how you can be psychic yourself. Um, Because one of the things that made me really popular as a reader was it wasn't a straight tarot reading. Like a lot of it was psychic based um, and mediumship based. Um, And the cards just kind of filled out a little bit of more information, you know, um, so I, I felt very confident in my own ability, um, to teach it. And then I had a Pathios blog on just witchcraft and paganism in general. And that ended up being the most popular one on the channel at the time. Um, and then that's when Llewellyn approached me and was like, Interesting. Hey. So it was by, by public demand then. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I'm very big on, you know, um, not writing about stuff that I don't know. Um, a lot because sometimes, and I don't want to make this judgment, but I totally have this judgment where I read, uh, particularly witchcraft books and I'm like, have you ever tried this spell that yes. you're sharing no, with I, people I, I, or this exercise? I feel that way about a lot of writing about, uh, about magic. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm very like, even if I'm experimenting, you know, I, I need to have test driven it with good results for, for a couple times before I share it. That's great. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that's if I'm writing in that mode, which I don't do a whole lot of yet, but I do teach. Um, mm-hmm. I only teach from my own experience. So yeah. um, that's really cool. Well, I would really be curious. And I think probably the audience would be curious to talk about, you mentioned kind of how to explore being psychic or opening that up <clears throat> for yourself. That I think would be really, really interesting if you wanted to talk about that. Because I think that, I'm sure you've had the same experience. There's not a lot of, sometimes there's kind of no overlap between the magical and psychic yes. communities. You know, it's like magicians yes. aren't psychic and psychics aren't, in, don't. Have, it's like magicians have the structure to project, uh, but they're not inherently psychic. So they're relying on, on substances or something. And, and psychics right. don't have the structure of, of ritual magic. So they're blown out and all over the place sometimes. Exactly. And so the interesting thing is they used to be united in occultism. Um, like the Victorians were all about it, right? Like you, you go back to the Victorian occult writings, they have a strong emphasis on psychic ability, a strong emphasis on the inner planes, on, mm-hmm. um, you know, the power of imagination and the power of the mind, you know, without um, going into this weird kind of dichotomy I see in occultism where they're like, oh, it's either young or it's real. And it's like, okay, well, maybe you should read some young <laughs> to like understand that's not what he's saying at all. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 even with the psychic books, I was a little bit frustrated reading them because I felt like a lot of the exercises would be kind of vague and it'd be like this is kind of how to open your intuition and like it wasn't very specific um it wasn't um about hard driven results so based on my experiences my research my training and then my own experiments i developed what's in psychic witch um like for for uh lori cabot's tradition so um when you go through witchcraft one um the first test before you're allowed to be initiated um this isn't like a secret so i'm allowed to share it is uh we're taught how to health scan someone um so essentially what we do is we go and we find people in our lives who have a doctor diagnosed 
problem with them, a uh, condition or whatever. And we fill out pretty much an information sheet and we keep it to ourselves. We don't show anyone. And we're trained to say the name of the person to the other person, um, their age and their location. And just based off those three information, you have to describe them and you have to diagnose them correctly. And wow. the person obviously has it written down as proof. That's a hell of a uh, test. And everyone passes. Huh. <laughs> like that's, that's the thing. Everyone how, passes. How much everyone. training are, are people doing before that test? Um, it, it depends. Um, I, I think she's kind of um, boiled it down um, from the original size, but um, not very long. I mean, wow. it, it's it's basically going into alpha, you know, and then going into immersion. I'm super big on immersion, um, and I think that is a huge key to psychic ability, and so it's our biggest hang up. Say more about that in terms of what you mean by specifically going into alpha and how you do that and how you experience and then what you mean by immersion. Okay. Yeah. So, um, alpha is a brainwave state that is associated with imagination. Um, it's associated with daydreaming. It's, it's not like being asleep and it's not being in a trance state or like a drug induced state, like a hallucinatory state. It's essentially that same state of mind when either your mind wanders or if you're really into something, you're kind of like in that flow state or in the zone, right? Um, it's different than beta. Like beta is what I'm in right now as I'm talking to you and I'm thinking um, and my talker's on. Um, but alpha is associated with that sort of like liminal space where you're here in the physical reality but you're not like your mind is either focused on. So what I always want to go to is writing. When I write, I go into alpha because I'm totally focused on what's going on in my head um, as I'm typing. So it's interesting because a lot of these old uh, occultists, even going back to like Agrippa, um, you know, mention imagination and the power of imagination and you go into hermeticism and it's all about mind and the power of the mind, you know? Um, and What's interesting is there's a researcher and his name escapes me right now, of course, because I'm doing an interview, um, but he essentially took different people uh, from different faiths, different like faith healers and shamans and, you know, voodoo priestesses and all these different people who claim to have to be tapped into something different. Mm. And he put them on the, the ECG uh, machines, the brainwave scanners. And he would have them do their thing, whatever it was. And he noticed consistently that when they would go into the thing, they would go into that alpha brainwave mm. state. Okay. Um, so he he drew a connection that that state of mind has something to do with all these abilities that these people are tapping into, which is interesting because... Um, it can be seen as either psychic or magic, uh, what they're doing, you know, uh, different vocabulary, but it's either one or the other. I'm, I'm guessing and that that's book, the same state that people are in when they're creating, when they're being artists as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Well, because art is magic in yeah. my opinion. And often predicts the future. Or creates it. Right. Um, you know, like, uh, Grant Morrison uh -huh. and the whole hyper sigil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, 
essentially it's an easy, easy state to get into. Like we slip in and out of it all day long um, without realizing it. Um, But essentially if you close your eyes and you relax and you kind of just kind of go inward for a moment, you can trigger it intentionally. Um, And in this state, so my theory is, and I don't go super in depth into the book, but my theory is, is it creates sort of a bridge between the conscious and the subconscious, which is then tapped into the collective unconscious. So I think that's where that sort of psychic information comes from. Um, I am a big proponent of the tripart soul model. Um, that was in my witchcraft traditions. As I dive deeper into cultism, I'm like, why isn't in every witchcraft tradition? Say more about what that is. I haven't heard that about that before. Okay. You probably have, I'm, I guarantee you have, which is okay. probably not okay. under that name. Okay. All right. So, so it's the idea of a higher self, a lower self and a middle self. Um, so Plato, uh, his, his model was, uh, the spirited, the sold, and the rational okay. Uh, okay. aspects All of right. self. Yep. So it's this idea that um, in witchcraft, we we refer to all three parts as a soul to emphasize the divinity of all three of them. Um, so for me, I believe that uh, intuition, like what we call intuition, is our lower self speaking to our middle self, because our lower self is our animal self, right? Like it's our body. It's the part of us that is an animal. And animals, which we are, are constantly scanning their environment for information. Um, But a lot of the information that we scan is subconscious because of the way that we've evolved. We don't see it necessary to to pick up on all those details. Like if you've ever seen... um, BBC Sherlock. Um, like one episode. This is this the one with uh, Benedict uh, Cumberbatch yes. in it? Yeah. Yep. Yes. So and I'm sure you saw it because it's in every episode. But when he does his deductions, oh, right, all of yeah. a sudden he's like, there's a scuff on his arm. And, you know, there's a thing here and there. You know, these things that like no one would normally pick up. Like we're all constantly picking up is my belief. So intuition is that information. And we feel it in our animal bodies and our lower self. We feel it either as an emotion that's unprocessed, or as a physical sensation. Uh, Psychic ability, I believe, is the higher self speaking to the middle self. So this is the stuff that can't be explained by any environmental factors. This is where, like, names and dates and just, like, you know, that kind of information that's, you know, like, where did that come from? So I believe that that's... Yeah, uh, I totally, that's interesting because I've kind of come to the same conclusions or it came a while ago, came to the the same conclusion about what you're saying about intuition that you're really kind of picking up on, on infinite information and then your body may be representing it to you as a feeling, but it's, it's an amalgam of so many things that you're kind of tuning out. Um, but then the highest, the higher self talking, I mean, you know, just in my experience being around truly psychic people, it is uncanny what people can pick up on and and tell you i mean it's it's they're truly tapping into i don't know what to call it you know a a higher level of of reality where they can see information and i don't i take it uh seriously and i don't discount it like obviously so many people do Um, but of course um i think the most successful psychics that i've met because i've worked for companies um that work with psychics. I've met a lot and talked to a lot and interviewed a lot. Um, 
the most successful ones, I think, kind of go through training programs because otherwise I've also met a lot of psychics who just get, they can't differentiate between themselves and other people's problems. And I, yeah. I, I, I talk about that in my book and I talk about it in the book that's coming out soon. Um, I, I tap onto two different parts of that. So like in, in Psychic Witch, the way that I talk about it is I talk about um, uh, magical impact. Um, so I see magic and psychic ability as the same thing. It's just two sides of the same coin, right? Like magic is the way I define it is it is the wielding and projection of energetic information to change reality mm -hmm. where psychic ability is the perception of that yeah, energetic totally yeah i just see it as projection and reception yeah yeah so it, it's the same thing it's just like input or output um but i totally forgot what i was talking about <laughs> oh we were talking about um uh, or i was talking about psychics um without clear boundaries Oh, yes. So magical impact is a term that uh, Josephine McCarthy of uh, Quera, I think is what her books and her, her mystery school is called. Uh, she coined the term, um, to my understanding. And it's essentially what I think happens to a lot of psychics and a lot of people that you meet that are uh, into new age stuff or super into the psychedelic scene, because it's very similar to to old hippies where you, you have the burnout hippies, mm -hmm. right? So the same thing happens to psychics or even magical practitioners where essentially they fry themselves because they're not properly handling the energy. Um, they're not grounding it right. They're, they're taking on too strong of things. And so like, you know, all of a sudden you have someone having like, you know, these spot on psychic things and these great revelations. And then all of a sudden they're talking about like, you know, um, uh, reptilian shape-shifting you know bankers and you're like what um or they're just like not connected they're just totally right. all about like oh 5d you know galactic command and you're like what's 5d mean and yeah. they're like oh it's it's this vague you know <laughs> it's uh tricky as i'm sure you uh, you know i'm sure i'm preaching to the choir here you know it's like th this culture doesn't really recognize any of these experiences yet they're so obviously a to my mind a they're so obviously real and b have been part of the human experience since the beginning of the human experience they're part of being human right and you know we live in a culture which wants to deny and cut them off and that, that's not a it's extremely unhealthy and b it's very dangerous dangerous for the people who will obviously and naturally gravitate to those things because it's part of the human experience it's just you can't right. edit it out of even when you're talking about your childhood experiences it's like you know you can't just block off that that level of things or maybe right. you can people try people seem to um but that's not particularly healthy um so you know one, one of the reasons why uh one of the reasons why I do what I do, particularly with teaching, is I got into that zone in my late 20s where I fried myself and nobody could help me. And like nobody knew what was going on with me. And uh, that was very tough. And it took like a long time uh, and seeking, you know, it was like the second phase of my, you know, first I sought to get into magic and psychic stuff and go through that. And then I had to seek to get out of it, you know. So I guess that's yeah. part of the uh, shamanic journey. But um, this is one of the reasons I teach so that, that people can have a structure and, um, not fry themselves, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that's uh, that's why a psychic witch i'm very very focused on like how to turn this off how to turn this down how to you know how to handle the energy properly because that's one of the things that i found was missing in a lot of the books that i grew up on mm. and the ones that i could find in the market um that i had to learn through a experience and then b just from people who were experienced from from teachers and mentors um you know stuff that should be in books, but isn't in books. Well, maybe if you want to share more about that, because I think that's such important information. Um, I think the, the way I want to phrase the question is, you know, what first, what are the warning signs that you're kind of getting close to? But for, first, it's what, what exactly causes being fried? Second is, what are the warning signs that you're kind of pushing it too far? And third is uh, how to turn it off. Okay. Um, that's a lot of questions. Yes. Okay. We can go through one at a time and I'll keep track <laughs> okay. of them. Um, so, I mean, I think the warning signs are more apparent to people around you than maybe yourself. Um, you, you, just because there's an, a disconnect from reality that starts slowly happening. Um, in the sense of, you know, um, just kind of neglecting and not caring about things around you and being completely focused on it. Like that's one red flag that you're at least on the path to it. Um, you know, especially coming from more of a pagan background myself. Um, you know, we have a strong emphasis on this reality, this physical reality. We're here for a reason, you know, we need to function in it. Um, second, um, so, so actual magical impact, um, is interesting because it hurts. Um, it hurts for a moment and um, usually people don't realize what it is. So they might think that it's like the flu or something like that. Um, the closest I can compare it to is it feels, because I've had it, I've totally had it, um, you know, be, thinking I'm too big for my britches and trying magic that was just way out of my skill level. So when you say magical impact, what do, what do you mean exactly? Um, so it's, it's like an overload of okay. energy. Okay. It's more than you can handle. Okay. Um, so it feels from my experience, it feels sort of like if you've ever been in a car crash and then afterwards, like not a severe one, but like yeah. where Actually, you just have yeah. like, it's like this severe, like whiplash. And then if you mix that sort of feeling with like a severe flu, it, it's like the weirdest thing. It's like a whiplash and like a, like you're physically like hurt is the best word I can explain, you know, but it goes away quickly. Um, you know, so a lot of people don't connect the dots that like, Hey, this had something to do with the energy thing I did like yesterday or, you know, um, a couple nights ago. Um, it can also appear in, in different ways where people, I mean, a lot of it is very similar to looking at, hippies from the 60s movement that fried themselves out and watching what they become later in mm, life that's it's interesting yeah it's very very similar it's the same sort of like spaciness the same inability to sort of function or take care of themselves in a adult way um yeah that for me is one of the biggest um blessings of the you know even actually getting into occult stuff at all is that you have structure and, you know, even just to be able to do something as simple as a banishing ritual where it's like, you can put up about a psychic boundary. That's a big yeah. deal. You know, yes. people didn't have that in this for the most part in the in the sixties drug culture and they still don't have it. 
Um, and I, I like how you describe that. Um, and I think it's very true when you say it's going to be apparent to other people before it's apparent to you. Mm. But maybe if you can share, if there's a way to share with people a warning sign to watch watch out for within themselves, that they're possibly, uh, they need to tone it down. Um, so for me, if we're going for less of the magical and more of the psychic, um, for me, it's the inability to shunt, for example, spirits off. Um, that is a big one. And a lot of people who like dabble into psychic stuff or who are kind of naturally predispositioned to be psychic end up kind of shutting themselves off automatically because they can't turn that off. And that's where I, I you know, I was talking about, it starts kind of borderlining um, how schizophrenia is described, you know, of like hearing voices or like seeing things and not being able to shut it off, you know. Um, although my understanding is the nature of how that comes to you is very different. Um, my understanding of schizophrenia, it's it's usually very angry or violent mm. or negative um, often. That um, reminds me of something. I this is really interesting because there was a science. There was a. I mean, it's not exactly a scientific study. It was a. It was a anthropological survey of huh. the voices reported by schizophrenic people in different cultures. And they oh. found that the, when um, schizophrenics in, in particularly hardline Protestant cultures like England and America, but Western culture in, in Western culture in general, get these angry, punishing, judging voices. Whereas people from like India and Africa tend to experience like the gentle voices of tribal elders or people in their family. And it's not angry at all. That was super interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, that's fascinating and it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, that's, that's our, our paradigm that yeah. we have yeah. in the West. Yeah. Um, so sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, you know, and then there's just other little things that like foundationally, I think we take for granted or aren't explained right or have kind of lost their meaning over time. Um, like one of the things that uh, apparently is like a huge revelation with people that read my book, um, which then I was like, oh, this really isn't in any book, is it? Is the way that grounding is discussed in most books is not explaining like usually it's more about like connecting with the earth and feeling rooted you know and it's like that wasn't the original intent of grounding it's supposed to be like a grounding wire like it's your your valve to let out the excess energy to flow through you what would you know, an example of that be what do you mean um so if you're talking about like having a, a something like a grounding wire what would an example of that be like a practice or a behavior or so so for me, you know, I'm very big on visualization, but visualization is just symbolic. So, you know, when we're we're visualizing energetic things, even even in ceremonial magic, you know, um, essentially we're telling the energy what we want it to do and how we want it to move. It's not necessarily doing the thing. Um, so a lot of it has to deal with what you are intending that visualization to do. So if you're grounding and you're just seeing your, your roots as just kind of anchoring you into the earth, 
that's what you're telling your energetic body to do is like enter, like, like anchor, be, be, be solid. But if you're telling those energetic roots, like, Hey, you're going to process energy that is too much for your system out through you into the earth. That gives it a different command. Oh, wow. So you're basically talking about like literally visualizing yourself grounding. Yes. Right, like a tree. Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That, that I have not heard. And that seems like it would be very helpful. I mean, I remember when I was going through it, people were constantly telling me, you need to be more grounded. You need to be more grounded. And I remember getting so frustrated, like, what the F are you actually talking about? And I'm a and big, sometimes they don't know. They don't. And it's just, it's yeah. And yes. it's just like, okay, well I just feel judged, <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> yes. but, but, um, it's kind of like, but I am, I am big on some of the stuff that Dion fortune recommends, like eating a heavier diet exercising, cultivating friends outside of the magical community, yes. you know, playing a sport, doing things that are not involved in, in uh, psychic or occult stuff, and just generally kind of being a better, well-rounded, balanced person. I'm yeah. all, uh, always for that. I'm, I'm very, I'm very mixed on Dion Fortune. Actually, I, I think right. I'm mixed on pretty much any of that post-Victorian. <laughs> like. Oh, no, it's interesting. I did um, a few episodes back. We did a I did a podcast with Mickey Pellerano where we went back and re revisited the mystical Kabbalah. And I was like, this is yeah. racist as hell. I don't remember yeah. it being this bad. It's like, it's ridiculous, yeah. like how over the top that book is. So yeah. It's racist yeah. and anti-Semitic. Yeah. Which is like hella ironic because it's a book on Kabbalah, you know? Yeah. Well, that was, I think one of the biggest, I mean, Crowley was the same way. It's like, that's like, it is, a, and uh, people are still that way, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's very ironic, but it, it was kind of shocking for me because like everyone, I remember just like, you know, everyone always points to Dion fortune as the level headed sane one. And it's just like, yeah. <laughs> no, like even if, if you revisit, um, psychic self-defense, you're like, she is paranoid. She's oh, paranoid. Yeah. And she says some things that like, she just sounds crazy. Yeah. Like there's a thing about a werewolf attack in there, I think. And there's something like, I think at one point, yeah, no, no, no. I know what you're talking about. Cause I looked at that recently. There's, there's one part where she thinks that like one of her neighbors has like a door stopper shaped like a Buddha. And she thinks it's cursing her because it's from the evil oriental cultures. It's like, calm down. Like this is, yeah, come on. Yeah. So, so, and that's, you know, that's interesting because that, um, I see it a lot more in, um, the witchcraft and folk magic. Um, but I'm sure it also happens in the ceremonial magic circles, but this sort of paranoia that grows and, um, about each other, like everyone's cursing me, you know, all these things, you know, and there's a point where it's just sort of like, it seems like they snap uh, like, like Dion fortune in that book seems like there's many instances where you're like, Whoa, like that's not. Yeah. And she like, was a golden Dawn person and they clearly snapped and, and went yeah, through and, that. Yeah. yeah. And I always go back to, um, I love Terry Pratchett because I feel like Terry Pratchett often has a better understanding of witches than most witches do. <laughs> and he had a concept of cackling. Um, there's a certain point where a witch would start cackling and, and that was where essentially, um, they would break, they would snap inside and they would start becoming paranoid of everyone around them. And mm. they'd start cursing other people, you know, first as defense, like, oh, they're cursing me. So I got to curse them. And it just sort of becomes like a downward spiral. And why do you think that happens? Um, 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why, uh, but it is definitely a phenomenon that I see a lot. Yeah. Um, I want to talk I, I think about per, that because I, I think per, perhaps it might have to be a lack of accountability. Um, okay on the practitioner's end, um, you know, cause sometimes you have to realize life sucks, <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't have a magical reason for why bad things happen. Sometimes it's your fault. You were the one who set things in motion, uh, mundanely that has come back to bite you. Um, sometimes, or, or sometimes I, life is just hard, you know, it's like, yeah. it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and people always criticize historical occultists. It's like, look how hard their lives were. And I always say, like, look how hard the lives of all the people around them were also. It was a hard yeah. time to be alive. You know? Yeah. yeah. They, they were mean to each other, too. Like, I was doing a deep dive back into, like, the foundational tarot texts. And it's interesting because, like, uh, you know, Elphus Levi is like, oh, this is what like Court de Geblin says, but he had it wrong. This is what it is, you know, and then you have uh, 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 Waite coming in, Arthur Waite. And, you know, he's like, oh, this is what Levi presented, but this is how he had it wrong. You know, like he was such an it's so weird because like Waite is translating all this stuff and then he's talking shit the whole time. And then about Cro Crowley epically, epically talk shit about Waite. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean. Crowley believed he was Levi, you know, so it's, but it, but it actually kind of felt like when, when I was reading Crowley talking shit about weight, it actually, I was kind of like, okay, this feels good because you read weight's work and it's sort of like this dude is like way too smug and way too arrogant, you know, and, and to, to, to have someone like Crowley who is smug and is arrogant, you know, put you in your place. At least he does it in kind of a comedic, yeah, like yeah. a comical way. Um, yeah, whereas weight sure. is just looking down, you know? Yeah. I never really went through a weight phase. Um, but I have, yeah. I have enough of his books. Um, yeah, that's a, yeah, I would love to like focus on this a bit more because certainly I've gone through that uh, in uh -huh. various ways at various times in my life. And it happens on the internet also, not just in close proximity. It's like people get, you know, people get ideas, you know, like then the, I can't like the list of weird ideas that people have about me, particularly other occult people. Like I'm the devil to some people. It's just like, I'm just, I'm literally just a D and D nerd just sitting here, but people get like the weirdest ideas about me. Maybe you have the same experience. I mean, it's like, well, and, yeah. and everyone kind of cultivates their persona online and we're all and the thing about a cult people is we're all basically the same. We're all basically like kids who were book smart in school or interested in this stuff. And we're kind of outsidery and goth. Like there's not really a whole lot of difference between occult people, but people right. build these personas and they get very paranoid annoyed about each other and things like that. Uh, and, and, and I've I seen it that, happen in a lot of other people as well. I think it happens more on online spaces too, mm -hmm. or like, cause I think like in-person community, I think you start realizing like, oh, most people get along in these spaces, you know? And I think it's very much what you're saying. Um, I think online, there's a lot of projection and a lot of um, I mean, I've heard stuff about myself that I'm not going to repeat, but like stories and all kinds of statements where I'm like, I have no idea where, where this is coming yeah. from at all. Yeah. You know, you know, I read stuff about myself and it's just like, you would think I'm like practically the head of the clan or something like that. It's like, what are you talking about? 
Um, but I mean, to be fair, this is kind of just the nature of the internet in general. It's not really about, you know, our whole culture is sick with people's insane projections. So it's not certainly not just the occult scene. But I do think that with, um, with occult practices, you are making yourself more and more sensitive. So it would make sense that, you know, that can lead to some some hurt feelings as you become more and more sensitive and hurt feelings about things that are not a big deal and what other people would not even notice. But when you really amp up your sensitivity, all of a sudden it feel things can feel like an attack that are not. And, and I have that issue. So I, I haven't fully solved it, you know, so. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think it depends um, person to person. I mean, there are people that are, legit wishing harm on people and are legit cursing people mm -hmm. whether their curses are doing anything or not you know I, I guess that depends on the individual cursor um but yeah i mean you do become more sensitive and i think i don't know i think i think it depends on what you're doing in this field and why you're doing it um i guess field is how how i'm presenting it because that's where i'm coming from um you know like this is my work this is my life's work this is my path um you know for other people it's not you know it's a very important part of their spiritual path but it's not their life's work um and so i i don't know it, it's you know i i remember i had a uh student once um with this is before i was even teaching and i was just kind of mentoring kind of like in the middle ground and i already had my pathos blog that was really big i was already you know trained in various traditions and like kind of known in my niche community um and they messaged me and they were like, oh, you know, I'm very jealous of you and the teachers, um, which the tradition I'm talking about was um, uh, this one was Black Rose. So it was Storm Fairy Wolf and Devin Hunter, you know, who have published books. And this person was like, oh, I'm very jealous that like everyone fawns over you and, you know, buys your books and da, 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 da. And like that they aren't doing that for me. And I remember being like, well, that's weird because you've been in this for a month and you said that this is your first experience with any of this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, okay. So, so, so it's just yeah. kind of like, well, I, I, I think th some, mm -hmm. some people don't realize how much we've put into this yeah. before becoming public. Um, or, or sacrificed or suffered, you know, and, and. Yeah, I mean, uh, I certainly get that. Anyone who, this is a, a crazy thing to make your life's work. It's an important thing to make your life's work, yeah. but it's not like becoming a lawyer or a doctor and yeah. you face a lot of judgment. Yeah. And, and you know, I, um, you know, I've been very successful, which I feel very blessed, but that's also gotten a lot of evil eye my way, yeah. you know, um, you know, like people jealous or people like thinking I don't deserve it or, you know, things of that nature. So, um, you know, and that can be sensitive, you know, especially since I'm so supportive, like I, I, I support everyone and I want to see everyone succeed who's doing good work. Um, and you know, I, I think at the end of the day, um, for me, I, I just, you know, I, try to be a good person. I try to be good to other people. And I try to do what I feel is in alignment with my true will. 
um, you know, and also help other people, you know, if they, but they're doing their true will, like more power to them. I'll support them. I'll, you know, help them. But I think that, you know, that sort of impeccability is an extreme word, but that, that integrity, um, is a strong form of protection and a form, a strong form of blessing on the path. And, you know, I, I, it's not like a huge secret. It's not like this huge mystery, but it's sort of like, I, I don't know. Like I see a lot of these people that are complaining or are, you know, talking trash or whatever. And it's sort of like, well, you're, you're doing the opposite of <laughs> like, you know, like what I and all the other successful occultists in history have said, which is essentially, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> focus on, focus on your thing. And I think success is very, um, it's illusory. I mean, cause like, what is success? Like, is it, is it book sales? Is it, is it, you know, subscribers? Is it podcast listens? Is it people you've affected? Is it people whose lives you've changed? You know, like it, it's, we live in a very Western, very capitalist world where I think sometimes those things are confused. Um, yeah. For me, I mean, I, I, I think a lot of it is just simply being in the public eye or being successful in general. It doesn't necessarily have to do with the, the occult scene, although occult people, let's face it, can be a little bit more uh, unhinged at times. Yes. Um, <laughs> but no, I agree. And and obviously I get a lot of that too, less now because I'm much less social than I was uh, as, a, as a result, unfortunately, uh, much yeah. less social. But there's always kind of the, particularly if you have a book out for some reason, I don't know why people get so hung up about that, but um, there's a lot of, lot of haters out there. It's very, yeah. it's, and it really sucks, particularly if you come at this wanting from a place of wanting to help people. It's like, look, right. I'm doing, I'm exactly. trying as hard as I can with everything I do to help you. And like, you hate me yes. for it. And it's like, well, that's, that's an old story. You know, right. uh, people just see someone else is getting attention and then maybe they start copying you. They want to like wear your skin. Basically. That's also very yeah. disturbing. But um, they, like I was saying, like, they don't see all we've put into it and they don't see like the not so positive aspects of this. Yeah. They know? also and don't see what they're doing to themselves with that. Attitude. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. A psychic, actually a psychic said to me once something that I've, uh, was just so helpful for me and, and it was just really cool that it's like, she said, just because somebody else has something doesn't mean you can't get it for yourself. Yeah, that's yeah, a that's a big deal because people think that it's like they have. I think it's like that person has this, so I can't have what I want, which is not true. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, I I think that's something that like I've always had a different relationship with in general. Um, you know, part of my background is New Thought. Um, you know, I do. You know, occultists love to shit on New Thought, <laughs> but it's like New Thought has a lot in common with a lot of the kind of basic principles of occultism. It, it comes out of hermeticism. Ritual. It comes yeah, it's a product it, of hermeticism. Yeah. Ex yeah. Exactly. And yeah, I that's think, interesting. you know, being a child of, you know, like poverty and struggle and stuff like that, you know, like I, I kind of always grew up with the assumption that I wouldn't have anything, you know? So I, was always happy when someone had something and, you know, I would celebrate their success and their victories. And I do that 
to this day. Um, you know, and if you go to a new thought person, they'll say like, well, that's the, that's how you do it, you know? And so you put yourself in that vibration or that frequency. Um, for me, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that or a little bit different. Um, I think ultimately, like, I'm a big believer that we're all connected on a fundamental level and that we are all one. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to, you know, intellectually understand it. Um, but I genuinely think we are. Um, and I think that we essentially affect each other vibrationally, for lack of a better word, um, based on our interaction and our connections. Um, and that includes physical and non-physical entities. Um, in my second book, the way that I define witchcraft is I've come to understand it as the art of connection. Hmm. Uh, and it's connection with spirit, connection with self, connection with other. Um, and it's sort of tying into that, that mystery with the capital M, which is that we're all one. And it's a mystery because we can understand it intellectually, but to like experience it or to, to, to get to know it is a different experience than just intellectually understanding it. Um, I, I think it's sort of like having a mushroom trip and then trying to explain to someone who's not had a mushroom trip, what happened in the mushroom trip. And they can kind of follow along. They can kind of like have their idea of what the mushroom trip was like but it's not the mushroom trip. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And and the, the, and I, I love how you put that. Uh, and I think one of the great things about uh, magic magic, you know, uh, sober magic and ceremonial, whatever, you know, projective magic, let's just call it, is you do get a sense of cause and effect. And sometimes it can be really dramatic and sometimes yeah. for the worse, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you get to understand what karma is on a more direct level. Um, and that demonstrates directly that principle, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, at my heart, um, like as, as I'm getting older, like I find hermeticism and even more than hermeticism, if we were to get more specific, like alchemy, like I'm like, I feel like alchemy is like it. <laughs> like, I feel oh, like a lot of our stuff is based on alchemy and alchemy has in its symbolic language, pretty much the process, the mysteries, the keys. Say more about that, please. Cause I really don't know a whole lot about alchemy and it's been coming up on some recent podcasts uh, and people have been more, more, uh, much more practiced and into it. And, um, I'm a totally, I'm a blank slate on that one other than some of the basic concepts. So please say more about what you mean by that. Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't know if I can explain it more than a basic level. Um, and it, it depends because, you know, different alchemists in different periods of time had different beliefs. So, like, um, there's the idea of, like, the sacred alchemist and then kind of the profane alchemist. So, like, when the knowledge was lost and they tried to physically, you know, make the philosopher's stone. And then there's some people who believe that, like, they did both simultaneously. Um, but essentially, alchemists, it's believed that alchemists spoke in what was referred to as the language of birds, uh, which is this idea that, you know, birds had the divine original language. And, you know, some people think that comes from the ideas of Toth in Egypt, you know, so like that kind oh, of divine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but essentially, the language of birds in reference to alchemy is this idea of conveying things in a coded language, in a symbolism that would not get them executed by the church at the time, heretical ideas. Uh, 
So a lot of hermeticism is, is in that. There's a lot of parallels to hermeticism um, in terms of like um, the hermetica. Um, not, I'm not talking about like golden dawn hermetics. Uh, I'm not talking about theurgy. I'm talking about like, you know, the texts. And then alchemy was a encoded practical process of like, this is how you take the information and how you essentially change who you are. Um, and so it's this process of refinement and um, introspection. And, you know, this is why Jung was so fascinated with it, you know, because it's individuation. Um, it's individuation laid out as a map. It's the process of dismantling the self and then purposely rebuilding the self into something um, uh, like Jung would call an individual, uh, which is different than how we use the word individual. Jung believed that most people were individuals, that they were divided amongst <laughs> themselves and didn't know themselves. Wow. So, so he came up with the term individuation to become an individual, like a self-made cohesive person. Um, and, and this has parallels to, and probably roots in, um, some like Neoplatonic philosophy as well. Um, but then it kind of ties into my own weird personal gnosis of the three souls, which are paralleled to alchemy because they were working with, uh, the three prime essentials. They were working with, uh, the coded language was mercury sulfur salt, uh, which was believed to be code for the, that tripart soul that Plato was discussing, um, you know, of higher self, middle self, lower self. And so it was this idea of uh, working with them and purifying them and seeing how they were opposites, but the opposites were the same thing in different degrees and kind of refining and breaking and destroying and, and rebuilding until you became something gold. Um, and my own personal gnosis, um, I believe that um, it when we do a process in witchcraft called soul alignment, which is where we essentially center all three parts of ourselves to the best of our ability um, to be fully magically present um, and essentially switched on. Um, my belief is that you are... Uh, it's very abstract. So I want to say solidifying, but it's not solidifying at all because there's nothing solid about it. But essentially you're weaving a, a tapestry of your soul to essentially create what um, New Agers might call a light body. Um, you know, Eastern people might call a rainbow body. Um, you know, uh, early Western church mystics might have called, you know, a glory. Um, but essentially you're creating a, a vehicle to hopefully in one of these incarnations, um, become one of the mighty dead, um, which is someone who has essentially gotten off of the, the cycle of rebirth. And we see this theme in a lot of different other traditions. Um, you know, we see it in Buddhism with bodhisattvas. We see it with saints, with Catholics, you know, it's spoke, it's almost like an old universal thing. Um, that's said in different ways. Um, and a lot of that has to deal also with, you know, my, my Neoplatonic interest, you know, the, um, uh, the Neoplatonists were very big on the idea that the mission of man was essentially to stop reincarnating and to essentially join the abode of the gods. Um, 
And so I went on a total tangent. No, no, that's <laughs> great. That, um, let, let's keep talking about this. I mean, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, and, and certainly it's something that you see across cultures. Um, if you want to revisit that topic from like a more practical and less theoretical angle, just like, I mean, I, how am I trying to say this? Mm -hmm. Like in your lived experience, do you find that that is a real thing? And if so, how? Um, I don't know. So okay. this is one of the areas where it's sort of like, I have to go on faith because obviously I'm not um, an ascended entity. You know, I'm still a very flawed person going through my own self-development and my own um, refinement. I, I'm still turning into gold from lead. Um, but if I were to look at all these influences that have impacted what I do as, as a magician, as a witch, um, you know, I go, I trace it back far enough and there's this belief. Um, so I have to believe that there is some sort of merit to it. Um, you know, it may not even be this lifetime because it's not a necessarily a single lifetime thing. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, at the most, uh, what it can do is it can bring you closer to what Jung calls individuation, which is a self-made person, someone who is more in control of their subconscious complexes, um, so to speak, uh, so that you're not being um, subconsciously driven by your your trauma or your responses, but you were reacting as a self-made individual. And that ties into the concept, um, which in a lot of witchcraft traditions, they're very big on the idea of sovereignty, which is this idea that you are responsible for your life and for your impact of your life. Um, and I'm not saying you're responsible for things that have happened to you in your past, but you are responsible for how you respond to things and how that response impacts everything in your life. I like that. So there's practical benefits, even if we're not jumping <laughs> off the wheel of rebirth, because I can't, I can't prove that. <laughs> right. I can't. That is all theoretical. That's all hope. I love the the phrase you use, individuals. I haven't heard that before, but uh, and I yeah. hadn't made the connection between that and individual. Uh, yeah, that, that really that says it all. Jung's whole, Jung is one of my big loves. Okay, I, I love Jung. Jung's writing actually helped me understand Crowley a lot more. Oh, interesting. In in what sense? Oh, there's so much that's that's paralleled, and I think it's because they were both very into the same things. Um, they were both very into alchemy. They were both very into uh, Neoplatonism. And so like they make a lot of the same references, but Crowley would often present it in a very cryptic way. You know, like this is what Eowas has, has bestowed upon me as the prophet, <laughs> yes. you know? And, and so Jung's like, yeah, so this is this thing, you know? And you'll see a lot of the same uh, uh, terminology, like the... Um, the the point in the circle and like you know uh the 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 rising serpent like there's a lot of the language that comes straight from alchemy um that crowley uses um and a lot of the things that crowley is expounding upon particularly in book of the, the law i i feel is essentially alchemy and it's the mm. alchemy of the self um and i think that there's this whole 
there's this trip that I I, I um, that I find a lot of occultists have, which is um, this sort of duality in their mind. And I don't mean between good and bad, but between something being this way or that way, and not and. Yes, if that, makes that sense. does make sense. Absolutely. So, so like, um, I'm, I'm sure you've read Book of the Law. Um, <laughs> a couple times. <laughs> yes. Yes. So for me, that is discussing three divinities, right? But it's also discussing the three parts of ourselves because it's all macrocosm, microcosm. And so the whole thing is a mission statement of that individuation, that alchemy, that ascension process. Um, and it's a war. It's a battle against the self, hmm. right? Um, but it's phrased in a way that it's, it's you know, um, a battle against others, a war against others. And it is, in a sense, as well, because we're all connected and it's a cultural, it's a paradigm shift. Um, but yeah, like, like another thing that like I find infinitely fascinating is Crowley's relationship with Eowas and Jung's relationship with Philemon. So Philemon we know about because of the Red Book, which came out many years after his death. And it was like this huge revelation because it's like, oh, Jung was like going through all this stuff he theorized in secret and no one knew about, you know. And his main guide, his teacher, his, his daemon that came to him was, was Philemon, that this older sage uh, type person. And Jung would have arguments with Philemon because um, Jung switches. And that's the thing people don't get is Jung, you have to know which part of his life he's talking about. But there is this part in the Red Book where Jung is arguing with Philemon about how Philemon is just a part of his subconscious, that that he is, that he's like, Philemon, you are part of my subconscious. You're an aspect of myself. Da, da, da. And Philemon's like, no, I'm not, dude. Like, I'm here whether you're, you exist or not, like I am here, you know? Um, and it's interesting because Crowley has the same struggle with Eowas. Is Eowas my higher self or is it the holy guardian angel? Is it part of me? Is it something external? And this is the same battle that Jung was having with mm. Philemon. Um, and that I think they're both wrong. I How think so? Both How so? Well, I think that they're, again, they're doing the and versus or and i think it's more of an and you know it's a particle and a wave you know it, it's separate and it is self you know um it's self in the sense that like it is so connected to you so if you look at the idea of the daemon and like a greek or the roman genius right like it's a sign to you for your lifetime like and that sense of interaction i mean it might as well be a part of yourself uh, so, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of a moot point when fundamentally I believe that we all are one on one level. You know, if we're all cells in something bigger, then yes, it's like you and I, like, you know, like we would be like, no, we're not the same person, obviously, you know, but like our higher selves may, may have a disagreement about that, you know, on a higher level. Um you know, we might be, it's just like the cells in my body. Like if they could speak, you know, they'd probably be like, Oh, me and the other cell are not the same. And they may not even have a concept of who, who Matt is as a right. whole entity. Well, I like, the, so, I like the concept of a, of a body or a larger being. Cause if you look at us as all cells in a larger 
body. I mean, certainly people like you or or you or I, or a lot of the people we know are basically the same type of cell performing the same function. (laughs) Yes. You know, and, and there's not, you know, the differences are mostly cosmetic. Um, and and that is super interesting, but I, I want to, um, you said something that I wanted to circle back to unless you wanted to wrap that up first. Okay. No, I don't, I don't even remember where I was going with that. There, I'm just you, geeking out. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, this is great. This is, the, this is the wonderful thing about podcasts. It's like, it's like, you know, it doesn't, it's not sound bites. It's, it just goes where it goes. And usually that's the most interesting thing. Um, but you said something that I wanted to talk, go back to, which is you were talking about the book of the law and you were saying that there is the war, the internal war, but there's also an external war and you connected it to cultural change. And I was curious what you meant by that. Well, I mean, a lot of the, the way that I interpret the book of the law, which is forbidden (laughs) to, to interpret, um, for that exact reason is why it's forbidden is this idea of dogmatism, you know, um, because Philema is highly individualistic. Yeah. Um, And I also find every time I read it, I have a different interpretation of it and it changes based on where you are in your life and your path and initiation and all of that. So, but, but, but carry on. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Um, but what I mean by that is like, you look at a lot of the language and it's very, anti-christian um but it's not anti-christianity um you know so there's the whole like you know hawk pecking out the eyes of jesus on the cross you know um and that has more to do with like for my understanding it, it has more to do with uh aeon revolution and aeon changing and the social paradigm changing and i think that that's essentially the war it's not the war in the sense of like extremism you know Hmm. but but it's essentially this war of essentially um i i I think it boils down to i really like the quote about crowley uh, about crowley by crowley uh where he says you know thelemites are infinitely tolerant save for intolerance and i feel like that's what the war is on the essentially the denial of other people's true will yeah um and i i feel like that's what that that paradigm shift is because um the aeon of osiris as you would call it was very much about you know like this is what everyone should do you know, not. Yeah. Well, that's a very real war. You know, like I live in Texas. That's a real war. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and it's a it's a war that's being fought every day in America. And it's a war that uh, I thought had been won and definitely has not. Uh, so yeah. and that's interesting. You know, it's like and I do see it in terms of Aeon of Osiris. It's like you look at things like, you know, evangelical, like like the Westboro Baptist Church or something like that. And it's just like, how does this even still exist? It's so, it's just like so uh, against the current of reality. You know, it's got got to be so hard to maintain that as well, because life is so much easier when you just let people be. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I think it's also very easy to be spoon fed. 
And I, you know, and I think that has more to do with it than allowing other people, you know, it's the fact that they're spoon fed that like they're doing it wrong. And so we have to attack them Um, because when you have the, the answers quote unquote, like nicely packaged and organized and handed to you, as long as you don't question it too much, then like that, that's a fairly easy life as opposed to having to search and having to find, you know, like what is real to me or what is probable to me based off my experiences. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I think I even see a lot of what I call the, the, the Aeon of Osiris and even a lot of Thelema um, in how people interact with, not so much to the level of like um, Westboro Baptist or, you know, like, crazy alt-right people but um you know there it's interesting reading how much crowley puts an emphasis on like like don't do exactly what i'm doing you right. know like like follow your own path and then like seeing thelomites getting kind of <laughs> dogmatic about it right uh and i think now they want to completely edit him out of thelema which is also i think kind of too far in the other direction it's like uh how how does that compute? Um, but yeah, Crowley obviously uh, problematic as we would say now. But also, the point of the lemma is not to be Crowley; it's to be yourself. And I find that um, I find that that the lemmic principles, let's say, not not or, let's say not organized the lemma. Okay, but like the, you know the the principles of reality as outlined in the book of the law. It's not just that that's the best way to live; it's kind of the only way to live that works. Like you were mentioning earlier, just buckling down and focusing on what you perceive your true will to be instead of worrying about other people. That's the only way you're going to get anywhere that makes you happy, whatever that is. But also fundamentally understanding that everyone else is doing the same thing and their answers maybe will be totally different from yours. And I I love your your thing about and because that's also such uh, so critical to. Uh, interpersonal communication you know it's like it's like you can believe something i might not agree with it but i also believe something and we can both have our beliefs and that's totally fine you know and they can both be right so like or both be wrong but you know yeah totally yeah one of my big big takeaways in witchcraft and i put this in psychic witch is that um I believe the heart of witchcraft, or you could even say occultism is paradox and being able to hold that paradox you know um uh, and and that's one of the weirdest thing when I see this like right versus wrong or this or that kind of mentality, you know, um, we should at least entertain holding multiple possibilities of, yes. you know, what is going on and what the big truths are. Cause, cause no one knows for sure. Like, I mean, you can have, you can you can be Siddhartha and and achieve enlightenment, you know. But like, how are you going to prove to someone else that you didn't have a psychotic break, <laughs> you know, and that you have the wrong answers? Well, by giving them a system to repeat your experience, which I think Buddhism did pretty well. Um, yeah. But you know, good luck finding people who will take it that far. But that also doesn't mean that like Buddhism is the only path, or that it's you know that the only path for a reaching there that that state or that that's necessarily where everyone needs or should be going um 
and I, you know, I think it goes back to like an Aeon thing. Like I love Buddhism. Like I'm not like trying to, it was just the first example that came to mind. Um, but I, I, I really love what Crowley says about, you know, um, uh, I love his star analogy with true will and the idea that no stars, I, I forgot how he words it, but they don't essentially like cross each other's paths. Like when everyone's doing their true will, there is no interference. There is no clashing. Um, and yeah. And I think that that's correct. And, and it's, it's, um, it's always crazy to me how viscerally real a lot of the book of the law has become. I mean, even just, just on the nose stuff, like every man and woman is a star. It's like, well, okay, there's kids making seven figures on Twitch. You know, there's YouTube, every people are, there's Mr. Beast. There you go. The beast, Mr. Beast 666 with 18 billion followers on YouTube. And everyone is now the center uh, of attention simultaneously. And of course, we're, we're going crazy as a culture because we don't know how to handle it. And technology is bringing it on so fast. And, um, you know, just if people were to accept the most basic magical thing, like the Robert Anton Wilson idea of reality tunnel, how helpful would that be for like all the cultural wars? And, you know, it's like, look, we could both be just seeing reality as we see ourselves. It's like, we, we're just in different reality tunnels. We don't all need to be in the same reality tunnel. It's totally fine, right. you know, but people, you know, you get, instead you get people on, you know, both sides of the political fence, at least in the US, playing like, you know, scorched earth, zero sum game. And it's exhausting, I think, particularly for magical inclined people, because it's so far from what, you know, we, you know, what we know is possible. So, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like going with the, the every man and every woman is a star. So, like, this is another one of those paradoxes, you know, um, like Thelema and True Will is very individual. It's highly individualistic, but we're all stars within Nuit, you know, we're, we're com- like I was saying, cells in a body. So it's not about the individual, but it is about the individual. And um, I don't know. I think it's easy to get lost in one or the other. And one of the things I like about um, witchcraft is this emphasis on the crooked path, uh, which could be termed very similarly to the Buddhist middle path, with kind of a similar idea. Mm. You know, this idea of... Um, I, I think that's why I'm very against the 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 or what? this or that. Oh, oh okay. You know? I thought for some reason much. I was imagining a literal or in a boat. Like, <laughs> wait, or, wait, yeah. What's the or? <laughs> yeah. Or or it could be a metal, you know, because we we're talking about alchemy. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, have you looked at Nima's stuff at all, like Mott magic? A little bit. Um, so, um, I have not read all of Mott magic. Um, I think she also has another one. It's like pan something, which I haven't she read. Wrote one that has the word mystery in it somewhere. All of her stuff is brilliant, and and I'm I'm very sad that I could not get her on the podcast before she died. Um, yeah, but I like her work more than Kenneth Grant. And well, to my understanding, yeah. that was her 
upstream person. Yeah. Well, well, she's an interesting one because she had kind of her own book of the law download, which was the book of Mott or the, the Libra Penne Penumbra in the late 60s. And Kenneth Grant kind of championed it and then kind of went off on his own Kenneth Grant tangent of writing books about yeah. the Gamatri and stuff. Uh, I, I love Kenneth Grant. You know, he's mostly just for vibe, vibe inspiration. You know, it's like as long as you don't take him too seriously. Um, but but Mott, the, uh, that book, Mott Magic, is just a wiser paperback. It's, it's really hard to get now, and it's really expensive, um, yeah. uh, which is crazy somehow how expensive so many of these books are that were like $5 when I bought them. But um, she talks about the concept of Natan, like N-A-T-O-N, with an apostrophe after the N, which is this idea that in the Aeon of Mott after Horus, everyone has, it's like you were talking about, it's like when everyone does their true will, it works out perfectly. So basically she says that at that point, all of the friction has been removed from the system. Everyone is perfectly doing their true will. And then the entirety of humanity wakes up as this one hive consciousness, Natan, uh, which and is And then cool. we're Borg. And then we're, well, yeah, you know, I, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we're, we're the Borg hive. Uh, <laughs> and then we go and cause trouble for other cultures across the, the universe. <laughs> um, but I always thought that was... Uh, I like that. That's, cool. it's interesting. Without reading that, like reading it or having a strong opinion, that sounds very interesting. Yeah, um, she's, check it out. She she's very underrated, and and I, I yeah, people don't know who she is. Yeah, and that's that's tragic because I think she's such a big part of the puzzle as well, and and I uh, I'm glad we're talking about it um, because it would also be a shame if her work gets lost now that she has passed. Um, but that whole crew put out so much stuff like that Cincinnati occult crew in the sixties and seventies, uh, Denny Sargent and, and, uh, all of the people that came out. I think Don Craig may have come passed through that at, at least at one point as well. I didn't know Denny Sargent was in that circle. Oh yeah. He was part of her, um, her, or, or is presumably is still part of her magical group. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So he's a Llewellyn author. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think Linda so, Florio as well. I forget the name. They had they had a couple different names for their groups in the mm-hmm. in the 70s. Somebody sent me all their zines from the 70s, like the, the Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic, and it's great. Oh, it's like cool. super out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, um, this has been a great conversation. I think we pretty much... We, we, we pulled every thread, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we talked about stuff that has nothing to do with my books, but that well, is, let's bring I, it back to your books. Where oh, can no, no, no. I'm it? actually saying that's refreshing. Oh, oh good. <laughs> yeah. 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 After a while, you, you, you get tired of saying the same things over and over totally. um, about, totally. your, about your books. Yeah. But. No, this podcast is just, this is the hangout podcast, um, <laughs> but let, but, but we should bring it back to your books. Where can people find them and find out more about you? Um, pretty much anywhere. So Psychic Witch and Mastery Magic are both um, available directly through Llewellyn or Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, um, anywhere books are sold. Um, I have a book uh, co-authored with Eva Dominguez Jr. coming out this year, uh, Pisces Witch. It's part of Llewellyn Zodiac series. And then I have another book which I haven't and am not allowed to announce yet. Um, that will be in the fall catalog for Llewellyn. Um, people can find me on social media 
uh, Matt Oren, M-A-T-A-U-R-Y-N. No spelling variations, no periods, no underscores. I will not message you asking you to pay for a reading. Um, uh, yeah, I've scanners. seen that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's enough to want to quit social media. Oh, man. Um, but I'm curious, though, uh, just because I, from my own curiosity, with psychic... Um, psychic witch and mastering magic, which one, which, what order should those be read in and what kind of content is covered in each? So they can be read either order. Um, I wrote psychic witch first. Um, I think psychic witch gives a better foundation, but people find it harder than mastering magic. Um, in mastering magic, I also started by, um, answering some of the biggest, uh, uh, feedback that I got, which was people with ADHD or people with aphantasia, which is the inability to visualize um, because psychic witch is so visually heavy. Um, so I, I discuss how to get into alpha through other means. Um, it's hard because psychic witch is so foundational that any book that I write is going to have to be, give a watered down see psychic witch for this full development, you know? Um, a uh, psychic witch is a, my my whole premise is as I said that psychic ability and magic are two sides of the same coin. Um, I believe that every human is born psychic. Um, I believe that we're psychic ability is essentially the language of spirit. It's how we experience and how we communicate before we're incarnated. Uh, we have it while incarnated, and we have it after uh, we we discarnate. Um, and I think. It goes dormant in a lot of people, but it can be re reawoken. Um, it is natural. Um, all of the senses can be awoken. And once you learn the process of awakening that, you can essentially reverse engineer that to do magic, um, for lack of a better word, I say on the spot. Some people say instant, but essentially that kind of mind magic, which is more than just sort of, you know, like wishing something, um, but is essentially using that process of how psychic information comes to you and then um, turning it into an output. So psychic, which is very strong on, you know, no tools, not a lot of ritual. Um, it's more about just the process. Um, whereas mastering magic is the other side of the coin. So it's all about, um, you know, what, how do you do magic? How can you make magic effective that has results? Um, so it's a lot of my like tried and true trial and error things that I learned that make, you know, your magic either successful or, or not. Um, and the book's goal is the the spell examples that I give while I'm teaching are all focused mostly on psychic empowerment. So hopefully I'm creating a circuit that feeds, you know, both sides of those things and helps someone become a more um, powerful, for lack of a better word, uh, magician and psychic. Awesome. Well, um, thank you very much for having the conversation. And now people know where to get your books. And, and thank you again for being on. Thank you. This was a lot of fun, Jason. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic meditation and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true 
self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.